WOMC. HD3 Detroit. KJAQ. HD3 Seattle. WBMX. HD3 Boston. And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Do UFOs ever leave physical evidence of their passing? If so, what is it and what does it mean? Why doesn't mainstream science even seem to care? Hey there, and welcome to the 183rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Thank you, Ben. Making his first appearance on Behind the Paranormal this evening is Ted R. Phillips, <coughs> excuse me, director of the Center for Physical Trace Research. He began investigating UFO reports in 1964 and was a research associate of the great Dr. J. Allen Hynek from 1968 until Hynek's death in 1986. It was a Dr. Hynek's suggestion that Ted began specializing in physical traces associated with UFO sightings in 1968. Ted has personally investigated some 600 UFO cases. He was a member of, the sele- of a select team invited to meet with the United Nations Secretary General Kurt Waldheim in New York in 1978, along with Dr. Hynek, researcher Jacques Valley, and astronaut Gordon Cooper. Ted gave two presentations at the first International UFO Congress and a presentation at the first MUFON Symposium, that's Mutual UFO Network. Most recently, he was a part of the History Channel documentaries UFO Hunters and Alien Encounters. His website is www ufophysical.com. Ted, did I get that right? Yes, you did. Okay. All right, so Ted Phillips, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, so let's just get right to the questions. So what kind of physical traces do UFOs leave? Well, they actually a wide variety. Um, And what I found uh, tremendously interesting was that uh, the types of traces were uh, matched with the types of objects. And uh, it uh, actually reached a point after several years of uh, investigating these things that I could go to a new case that I knew uh, very little about and talk with the witnesses, have them uh, describe the object, what it looked like, what it did. And uh, by the time I was walking out to the uh, trace area, I had uh, a terrific idea, a clear picture of what the traces should be, and they were. And uh, so uh, there's no question that uh, uh, there is a correlation between uh, the type of object and the uh, resulting uh, traces. And what you would find is uh, primarily uh, a circular area and I would throw in immediately nothing at all like uh, crop circles. Uh, the landing UFO landing sites were much, much smaller, much less complicated, didn't really look like uh, Walt Disney and his crew had been in there, uh, <laughs> and uh, sometimes <laughs> pretty plain. And other times uh, there might be a lot of uh, various types of uh, evidence there. Um, Occasionally, metal fragments, not very often, a tiny part of uh, of the nearly 4,000 cases uh, were uh, metal fragments, that kind of traces. 
primarily what you find is a circular trace, typically uh, ranging from about 8 feet in diameter uh, up to 30 feet in diameter. And uh, the circular trace, more often than not, would be sort of a donut in that the central area was unaffected. And if there was tall vegetation like four-foot grass or alfalfa or whatever, uh, the ring itself would be depressed, normally about a foot to a foot and a half wide, and the central grass would be standing actually kind of pulled up a bit. And um, some of the sites are oval, and as a matter of fact, I just uh, was at one uh, about a month and a half ago. And uh, in those, occasionally you would find radiation. In this latest one, uh, we found a two-foot circular area at the north end of the oval uh, that was pretty radioactive. I mean, it was was registering pretty high. And uh, then you have the totally irregular sites where uh, normally they're burned and burned severely. And uh, uh, another fascinating thing, such as the Delphos, Kansas case, which is a beautiful, beautiful event, in that there was an eight-foot ring that glowed for four evenings after the event. And prior to that case, I it didn't even uh, come to mind to go out and check the site at night for any uh, luminescence. And uh, things changed radically after that one. And this glowing soil, uh, when witnesses would touch it uh, with their fingers, their hands would become numb, numb to the point uh, that, for example, a nurse couldn't take the pulse of her patients for two weeks. Uh, She rubbed her hand against her slack leg, and uh, that portion, about a a a two-and-a-half-inch diameter area, was uh, numb from 1971, until she uh, she died in the early uh, 2000s. Gee. And uh, um, so the effects sometimes are quite quite lasting and human in nature. And uh, dogs, animals are affected in much the same way. And in that particular case, a uh, young boy, 16 years old, standing out, he's taking care of his sheep just after dark on their farm out in mid-Kansas, and he hears a noise, a vibrating sound. He looks up and hears this uh, roughly eight-foot-high, ten-foot-wide, uh, tremendously brilliant uh, uh, circular object. And coming from the base of the object, he could see a, uh, a sort of uh, steam, and it was luminous. And uh, the object's base was about five feet above the ground. This steam, or spray... Uh, fell from the bottom of the object and stopped a foot above the ground, and it was clear between <laughs> between the ground and the end of the uh, 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 steam or spray. And uh, on the ground beneath it, he could see forming a circular area of uh, a fog-like material coming up from the ground. And after the object finally landed, uh, he ran in, got his parents, they came out, they saw the object flying away to the south. It was seen by a number of independent witnesses also. 
And when they uh, went out into the darkness behind the hog shed, they find this eight-foot ring. Uh, and uh, Mrs. Johnson uh, made a statement to me that she could have easily read a, uh, a newspaper. It was glowing that brightly. Mm-hmm. And she had the presence of mind to run to the house, get an old, cheap uh, Polaroid camera, which had one frame left in it, and took uh, the only photograph I've ever seen of a glowing landing site within five minutes of the ascent of the object. Wow. Uh, and the the soil was dehydrated, sapped totally of moisture, uh, and obviously the vegetation all quite killed. And this effect went 14 inches down in the ground, only in the ring. The uh, central area was untouched and uh, normal. And, uh, I mean, it's just a fantastic case. And we sent samples to uh, I personally and Alan Heineck and uh, Jacques and um, to try to get the scientific community interested enough to analyze this material. And uh, finally, at uh, Oak Ridge, a, a good friend of Alan's, uh, was the director of a project there, and he said, yeah, send it down. We'll work on it. Well, they did, and they were getting some uh, amazing uh, electron microscopic images uh, showing the coating on the soil material by, of something, and they were able then to enlarge it to a point to look into this coating material, which had sealed off the particles, and that's why they, of course, uh, couldn't become hydrated and uh, uh, they found in the uh, the fluid that encompassed the the soil uh, what they called icicles and uh, they sent us copies of the uh, microscopic images and so on you could see these quite clearly and of all the folks at Oak Ridge that looked at this no one had seen anything like it before and failed to identify these crystal uh, particles in in the uh, ring soil material, and uh, as you might expect, they're getting really excited about this. Anytime they handled the uh, the ring soil, and a ring soil only, uh, anyone in the room would going into coughing spasms. Really, and uh, so they start wearing protective gear, and suddenly Alan and I uh, receive a letter from the director of the project who says uh, in, I think it was sentence nine, uh, due to a change in management, we can no longer work with this material. Uh Uh-oh. But they didn't send the material back. So I wonder. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of wondering to be done. Yes, yeah. And there's all kinds of secondary effects, such as broken tree limbs, uh, trees stripped down one side where an object comes in, and that actually happened on a Strategic Air Command Air Force base. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be uh, up there. And uh, the security people cordoned the area off. And uh, the thing was actually seen coming in in daylight. It came into a wooded area in the residential area of the base and left physical evidence on the ground and uh, a lot of damage to the trees. And I actually managed to track down the photographer, the Air Force guy who shot the uh, official pictures of the traces. 
And uh, he said, well, boy, if I had any negatives or photos, I'd give them to you. But he said they took everything I had. Surprise. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so it goes on and on like that. It, it's quite frustrating. My goodness. Okay, we're coming up on a break, but we do have just a few seconds. Uh, ben, you want to? <sighs> if you feel that it's, we should. Um, so do they always leave uh, traces or just? Or do you just have to look really hard? Well, in some in some instances, uh, you're absolutely right. The traces uh, might be a little different from other areas, and they might be pretty faint. One of the things I found of great interest was the occasional small footprint. And uh, uh, in a number of the cases, I was able to do uh, compaction testing on those and found that, uh, indeed, they were made by uh, something weighing about 60 pounds. And the witnesses, of course, would always describe them as three, three and a half feet tall. Ted, I'll have to so stop that, because we have, we have to take a commercial up. break. But we'll be right back uh, to continue our talk with uh, Ted Phillips here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. Join Kimmy Rose on Interviews, Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews, this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we're back with Ted Phillips, the keeper of the keeper of the keys to um, what has to be the world's largest database of physical evidence for UFO activity and UFO landings. And we've been talking about some some cases and some traces. Now, Phil, I'm going to ask Ben's next question because he's he's uh, just uh, coming now. But uh, do UFOs always leave traces? No, no. Uh, the physical trace cases represent. Well, obviously, we have. Uh, just under 4,000 from 93 countries, which is a pretty substantial number. <laughs> but uh, uh, compared to the uh, the total uh, UFO reports, it's a, it's a pretty small percentage. And uh, uh, I think that rather than, you know, normally we say about uh, UFO events, we only receive about 10% of the reports and uh, which would make some tremendous numbers. But I think in the physical trace landing events, the percentage that we receive is a good deal higher simply because the witnesses, it doesn't have to talk to someone and, uh, heaven forbid, a reporter, <laughs> and uh, describe the event, and then the reporter starts deriding him about, oh, well, you know, this, this is silly, goofy stuff because they have something physical that they can show uh, which any uh, open-minded person would be very interested in. Because these sites, um, uh, I, I never tire of walking up to them. And uh, even today, when I walk up to a new landing site in the light of day, uh, it always goes through my mind, this is not possible. Wow. And uh, but I've tried to be uh, totally objective about this stuff, and a number of the cases very small, but a number were out and out uh, fakes, and of course analysis will show that up uh, in an instant. And uh, but then too, you you over a period of years you develop an eye for the types of sites that are outside the norm, and they become suspect until you can prove them uh, true. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the uh, the hoax possibilities, but uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, that's that's a very small number, and uh, uh, it uh, I've been amazed because you would think, you know, in the crop circle area, I'm sure I did, I know very little about crop circles. I've looked at a lot of photographs, and I've heard a lot of stories of people in the middle of them chanting and all that. Oh yeah. And that sort of stuff, I'm sorry, is just not of interest to me. I mm. I like to approach it on a, a bit more of a uh, scientific uh, perspective. So uh, I've and the problem, the thing that bothers me, uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not beating down the crop circle folks because I think they should be investigated. But why are they so incredibly different from actual UFO landing sites? And I say UFO uh, landing sites because in all the cases I have, an object was seen at that spot generating the physical traces that resulted. And in the crop circles, I know of maybe one or two cases where someone actually saw something out of the ordinary uh, while these things were forming. Good point. And, 
so and but and I have to wonder in uh, nearly four thousand landing trace cases, why did I not ever walk up on a, a crop circle? Hmm. You know that yeah. that's makes me question it. So indeed, okay, Ben, we got another question. All right, so. Have these have these traces provided any evidence about what UFOs really were? Mm. Well, they they kind of bear out the um, uh, the observation by the witnesses as far as uh, in a high percentage of the landing sites they will mirror the size of the object that uh, generated them, and uh, if it's a thirty foot disc, you get pretty well uh, a 30-foot circular trace. And uh, if it's an 8-foot object, you get an 8-foot trace. So, but beyond that, uh, and I'm almost ashamed to say it, with all these uh, uh, cases, we still can't say how they're powered, uh, what they're made of, or where they're from. And, uh, of course, you know, we all, after years, develop ideas but uh, that's just one individual's perspective on the data. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I can tell you from the change that's taking place now, and uh, I'm kind of amazed at it, I started seeing in the mid-'90s the uh, decline of the classic old flying saucer, metallic in appearance, three or four landing legs, it lands, couple little six or three foot guys get out and stumble around pick up a few plants or whatever they do pop back in the way they go and uh, those kind of cases are really as I say on the decline and as they went more and more on the decline back let me just point this out back in the uh, uh, early the first few years of the 1970s uh, Alan Hynek and I were getting, on the average, one and a half, uh, or one landing case every 36 hours. Wow. It was that active. And uh, now um, it's rare to get uh, a, a good classic uh, landing case. What we have now in place of that are the small, the, uh, small spheres uh, anywhere from a baseball size to a beach ball in size. Um, and, uh, uh, I just was able through remote cameras last week to image, uh, five of these that were, uh, one of them was a foot off the ground and, uh, a few inches from the side of a doghouse and, uh, about, uh, 15 feet from the camera. And uh, on these images, you can see it coming in from the distance and getting closer and so on. And uh, these things get quite close to people and animals, and they seem to be quite curious about automobiles. <laughs> and uh, my big primary project now is what I call the Marley Woods, and uh, a lot of people are becoming familiar with that. I have been there for the past 12 years. And uh, I was invited by uh, some of the witnesses. This is in an extremely remote area. And uh, there are ranches there. And some of the ranchers were seeing really incredible things. 
And uh, 12 years ago, they called and they said, would you be interested in this? And I thought, well, I'll go check it out. And uh, they had been taking videos of the objects, and uh, these were people who never had a camera in their hand. So some of the videos are pretty shaky, but it's still there. And uh, uh, it was five months before I saw the first in my life uh, object that I couldn't identify. And uh, since that time, I've been privileged to see uh, quite a number of different types of objects and photograph a lot of them and uh, video and so on. And it's an astonishing place. It's relatively small uh, in size, about a mile and a half uh, one way and about three miles the other. And uh, the activity is almost nightly. And I suspect if you could somehow observe the entire area, uh, there would be activity of some kind every night. Well, don't look now, Ted, but I think you might be psychic. You you exactly anticipated my next two questions, which was <laughs> the changing nature of the UFO experience and Marley Woods. I was going to ask you about that. But uh, just to get back for a moment to the changing nature of the of the UFO experience, uh, what you've mentioned, the, the glowing balls, whatever these, these little circles of light, of course, obviously is reminiscent of the the ubiquitous orb phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know? yes. and uh, I, I don't, I don't have, a, I have several opinions on what those might be. Uh, people mm-hmm. often jump to the conclusion, ah, spirit orbs and all this business, but we don't right. know any such thing. Uh, wh- what is happening here? Why fewer landings by garden variety craft, and why more orb-like figures? What, or, or do you have an opinion on that? Well, I do, and uh, <clears throat> my opinion is that. Uh, when you consider uh, what was a typical device uh, up through the years was something 30 feet in diameter, actually quite massive. You put a circular craft or device 30 feet in diameter in the air, and that's pretty good size. And uh, so now we're looking at things from baseball to beach ball size, uh, that just could be a technology leap on the part of whatever this stuff is. And, uh, and I, I want to point out, I, uh, call these things light balls, and I do that to separate them from orbs. Okay. Because basically most people, the average person, when they think of an orb, they think of a digital photograph. Sure. With an out-of-focus dust particle. Mm-hmm. Or there. snowflake or whatever, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I've, I, at first I was thinking, well, this is interesting. And I had some really smart people showing me these. And uh, uh, I thought, uh, by that I mean trained observers. And uh, so I started trying to duplicate the effect, and you could. You simply need a digital camera and a flash, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that's what you've got. So... But these things are totally, totally different. And uh, they're uh, uh, luminous, self-lighting. It's a contained light. They don't illuminate uh, trees, grass, or anything around them. And uh, uh, I have some, some videos shot by, well, one that I have to mention, a, a family of four, guy's wife and their 20- and 12-year-old sons, uh, were in Marley, and they'd heard about uh, some of the neighbors and so on seeing odd lights. So it was uh, two years ago, uh, the 25th of October, 
And they were, uh, they took their two sons. They thought, well, the 12 year old would get a kick out of going ghost hunting. <laughs> so they took him to a little cemetery in the, uh, in the woods. And they drive up, first time ever looking for anything. And, uh, within 20 minutes of getting out of the car, they see this small light coming down. And the lady had her, uh, uh, video camera start shooting. And she gets this thing perfectly as it's coming in. It does all kinds of maneuvers, uh, impossible uh, flight patterns, and uh, finally flies off the viewfinder. And there, you can hear the family all talking about this in the meantime. And suddenly two come in side by side, and uh, the entire video is 15 minutes long. And uh, it is the most incredible view of at least this one type of light ball that I've seen. It's wow. very clear. The color is very bright. Yep. And what what you see in these... Actually, we're going to have to... I'm sorry to interrupt again, but we have to take a break. That's fine. But we'll be right back with our fascinating discussion with Ted Phillips on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. Stay with us. Don't touch that dial. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries. Desperate for changing, starving for truth. Closer to where I started, we're chasing after you. I'm falling even more in love with you, letting go of all I've ever Standing here until you make me move I'm falling even more in love 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And welcome back. And Ben and I are speaking this evening with Ted Phillips, probably the greatest world's greatest living expert on physical traces of ufo appearances and landings things of this kind now there's a question i'm dying to ask you ted and that's we were talking before the break about the the changing nature of ufos you're saying there are fewer examples of actual craft landing and you know little guys getting out and picking the roses and taking off uh, and <laughs> right more more uh the, the the light ball kind of phenomenon the smaller objects and you've mentioned the possibility that this might be uh, a technological leap on the part of whoever this is. But uh, my question to you is, is it possible that these things, you're looking at cases through the ages, that these things might be reflecting what we expect them to be? Because we find that in parasite, what we refer to as parasite cases, in, 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 in ghost research, according to our lingo, uh, they very often will, will reflect what you expect them to be. Do you think that could be the case here with... Uh, are UFO friends, if they are friends? Well, absolutely. I, I uh, now uh, would consider that. Uh, and the, uh, the aggravating thing is that uh, uh, a, a very dear friend of 40 years, Jacques Vallée, uh, has been light years ahead of uh, most of us uh, in his perceptions, his research. And uh, uh, right now, my wife is in the process of reading every Jacques Vallée book on Earth, a lot of them. and uh, and going back through Messengers of Deception, and uh, uh, you know, I, it's very plausible that an advanced civilization of um, beings of some kind um, could control. Actually, the mind is relatively uh, easy to control in a lot of circumstances. And uh, if you have an advanced group um, with enough technology, uh, look at how, by bending light, we're able to cause an army tank to vanish in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't vanish. It's still there, but you can't see it. Mm -hmm. So how far beyond that do you have to go in technology until you can make uh, a person see something and that they would relax their mind, they'd be more comfortable with, uh, or that is totally different than what is in front of them. And I've had a couple of experiences at Marley um, that I can't explain by to any degree, and uh, uh, it involves humanoids, and I never, ever thought that I would ever see anything like that. If I was lucky, I'd see a device, maybe. And uh, and I've actually had two uh, CE3 events just this year. And uh, uh, as I was mentioning to you, the, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, and if anyone wonders about that, hasn't read about it, you need to read up on that. There's Absolutely. a lot of stuff on the Internet. And, of course, the book, The uh, uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Mm -hmm. And um, the occurrences there parallel what we have in Marley. And when the occurrences there started kind of diminishing for a period of time, 
they started up at Marley. Now, there may not be any connection at all. I certainly wouldn't say there is, but it's interesting. It is very and, interesting. Uh, and there was a ranch in uh, Colorado, which I understand is, is even yet uh, active with all kinds of things. And so why are there these small areas, relatively small areas, uh, in at least three locations uh, and not everywhere? And uh, I've, I have turned over every stone, and I've talked to uh, people way in authority at Skinwalker that uh, uh, are in the same position I'm in. There's, there is no immediate explanation as those locations. Now, uh, there is an area in Romania, which now seems to be at the very beginning of the generation of another site like this. And uh, and by that, just an area where there is an inordinate amount of uh, activity. And, you know, you uh, just when I was getting to the point, uh, I kept looking down through the years at landing cases, and you would notice <clears throat> in 19, the 1920s there would be a landing and a couple little guys, and they're dressed in these sort of weird medieval-type clothes, uh, and then there's a sighting in uh, Italy in 1954. Evidently, the same little guys in the same outfits and the same cylindrical object. And uh, you're thinking, well, how how do you have the same sort of equipment and the same sort of... You'd think they'd change your clothes between the 20s, the 50s, the 60s, yeah. the 70s. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, what if they're leaving on the same day? Exactly. Yeah. And so there you get into my God, a whole new, a whole new thing, you know. And uh, but I tell you, I've reached a point in my very old age uh, of considering a lot of stuff. I really, yeah. I really am. Well, just and for if those... you can get the data to support it, you know, that's wherever the data goes. That's where you've got to go. Well, that's true. Uh, and just in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about here. The... The uh, Skinwalker Ranch case and a number of other cases, one of which Ben and I are working on ourselves right now in New England, <laughs> has to do with a, I suppose, what might traditionally be called a flap. You have extraordinary UFO phenomena. Where did that term come from? I don't know. I don't think it originated with the pair. What, flap? Yeah. I don't think it originated with <laughs> no, the No, I mean like the paranormal usage for it. Mo- Mothman gave it to me. He said, oh, you call it a flap. Because so he flapped <laughs> wings when he said, anyway. Getting, uh, actually, getting, I think oh. the Air Force came up with that. I completely. think you're right, Phil. Yeah. yeah. I'd be yeah. dead, Phil. Uh, <laughs> senior mom. Anyway, you guys, I get excited about this. Ben will tell you. But anyway, you also have uh, what apparently may be called poltergeist phenomena. All areas of the paranormal seem to be covered. People even see cryptids at times in some of these places. So this is what we're talking about. And the Skinwalker Ranch is sort of the, uh, I suppose, the, the top of the pyramid in the cases of this kind in the modern era. So that's, that's what we're referring to. Uh, Ted, I was going to ask you about Marley Woods. Uh, I, not, not to pump you for information, but uh, I mm-hmm. am I wrong in, in understanding that it's in Europe? No, no, it's uh, in the uh, central United States. Okay, my mistake. All right. And uh, I wish, I honestly wish that I could uh, could say exactly where it's at. And, oh no, understood, uh, understood. And use names, but the one, the one uh, prerequisite when they called me on the phone, asked me to come down, was I would never reveal the location or any of the names. And uh, by the way, I have, 
I have a file of 243 witnesses, and uh, uh, none of those people have ever talked about this uh, beyond myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's pretty remarkable. But it points out, you know, why make up a big lie and not tell anyone? So you've got 243 people that are either lying to themselves and keeping it to themselves, or it's a real event. And, uh, of course, over 12 years, I've managed to really know these people, and uh, they're telling the truth. And it's being confirmed almost daily at some other area within the woods. So, you know, it gets uh, it gets to a point where uh, you would really like to reveal a lot more. What I'm trying to do, though, I've always tried, I've always believed in uh, sharing the information with the public and with other researchers, because what good does it do to investigate nearly 900 cases from Marley <clears throat> and put it in a file cabinet? No, or two or three or four. But uh, uh, so I've always tried to get the information out there. And I do that by doing radio shows. And uh, right now I'm having a, a, a new website built. And it's going to be a real blow-away website. I mean, it's going to be great. And there will be a lot of information on, uh, of course, physical trace landing cases on Marley Woods and on the uh, Slovakian cave artifact project. And uh, so there'll be a lot there, and I'll be sure to let you know uh, when that thing is up and ready to go. Oh, absolutely. We'll link to it for sure. <laughs> Sounds terrific. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Ted. Ben and I became involved in UFO studies because... Now we're always coming up on another break here. Because there's one minute left. Because there's one minute left. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, we can't have dead air, so I'm going to ask the question give Ted a chance to think about it over the break. Uh, some cases that seem to be just about ghosts ended up involving UFOs, and we talked about this before the show. And I was going to ask you, do you ever find uh, UFO cases leading you into other uh, other areas of the paranormal? And we'll hold that until, until we get back. Um, but in any case, uh, we want you to stay with us through the break. We're talking with Ted Phillips, uh, certainly the world's greatest expert on uh, UFO traces, physical traces. Uh, and we'll be right back here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Just a moment. Stay with us. Spiritually Raw, the ass-whipping truth. Where skeptics meet spirits and consciousness connect. Meet the four distinctly different individuals. Building a multimedia enterprise revolving around the spirit world. No topic is taboo. Tune in as they expose and explore controversial beliefs behind the truths, myths, theories, and religious dogmas surrounding the metaphysical world. They're smart, witty, intuitive. With a raw sense of humor that won't allow listeners to feel sorry for themselves. Special guests, range from psychic mediums to Catholic priests and everyone in between. Be prepared for a cataclysmic collision of energies. Callers and opinions are welcome if you dare. SpirituallyRaw.com Love is but a song we sing Feels we will die You can make the mountains ring Or make the angels cry 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Well, I don't know where this hour went, but we're back for our final section with Ted Phillips, the expert uh, par excellence on physical traces of UFOs. And we had, before the break, asked Phil, uh, pointed out that uh, Ben and I had become involved in UFO studies simply because a number of ghost cases led us right to, to that subject. And uh, I was going to ask uh, Ted if he had ever found uh, UFO cases uh, leading him in our direction into other areas of the paranormal. Ted? Well, absolutely. And uh, uh, you would have uh, a really good landing case. And as you, uh, you know, as we were talking, you, uh, you have to spend more than a couple of hours on a case. And you see some of the TV shows where they're investigating ghosts or whatever. And uh, after about six hours, they say, well, that's it. Wrap it up. Well, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to stay with it not only for many hours, many days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years. As I said, Marley, 12 years and still going. And uh, uh, as you, over a period of time, you get the confidence of witnesses. They are totally afraid of giving you a UFO landing case and then turning around saying, oh, by the way, uh, we've had these really weird figures in the house or things like that. Something just walked through the wall last night. 
And uh, but as you put in enough time to become familiar with the people and they with you, uh, they start talking about. Well, have you ever heard of? And uh, I remember one uh, especially. It was an excellent landing case, and eventually, uh, uh, a couple of years into the investigation, uh, follow-up and so on, the witness said, have you ever heard of anyone being approached uh, by balls of electricity coming out of an object? And uh, I said, yes, absolutely. Well, that answered for me a question that I've been trying to get to because this individual had about 45 minutes of what is normally called missing time, time that couldn't be accounted for during the uh, landing. And I had uh, tried and tried to get him to fess up on, okay, what went on in that 45 minutes? And he was afraid. He kept telling me, well, I can't tell you because they will come and take my kids. And he sincerely believed that. And But once he had made uh, this little expose of the uh, the glowing balls of light that seemed to be electrically charged, uh, then he would start talking more freely. And I've had that happen on numerous occasions, so many, that, as I said earlier, uh, I started believing, okay, there may indeed be a paranormal connection to UFOs. And if you can associate a case that involves physical evidence that something with mass was there, which that's another thing that we can do, and I've done, is when the object lands on three or four legs, it has um, it leaves a footprint at each of the landing pads, and you can do compaction tests on those imprints. And what I almost always found was that the object landing there uh, had a weight of, uh, depending on the object, between seven and 14 tons. Now, that's not a ghost or a goblin. That's something with mass, real mass. And yet that leads you then to what normally would be called paranormal incidents. And, uh, you know, you can only ignore that for so long. And believe me, <laughs> I was the top guy in that area for a long time. Mm-hmm. So well, absolutely it happens. Absolutely true. Uh, actually, our point of view on the paranormal is that it is just as physical as I, we deal with the. Uh, well, when I started out, I had the usual spiritualist approach, you know, t- tempered mm-hmm. or, or added to baggage added to it by my theological uh, training in the seminary where I was when I started. And mm-hmm. of course, what uh, really ended up happening was that I, I didn't ended up sort of saying none of that is good enough, and I turned to the multiple worlds theory of quantum mechanics. And it seems to us, uh, and, and we have artifacts, I think, to show for it, that just as, I suppose, UFOs might be coming to us from multidimensionally, or so do ghosts. And they're not ghosts at all. They're the real people, you know, uh, body and soul and whatever you want to call it, bleeding into our own world and interacting with us. I think that's as uh, as real as it gets. Uh, you have other non-human entities as well. This is hardly time to explain it now, but... I think it's very physical. I, I have had altercation, physical altercations with what what might be called ghosts of the negative variety over the over the decades. And uh, as I say, it's a, you know a lot of the listeners are familiar with some of the cases here. But I think there are a lot of physical connections between your world and ours, so to speak, and between the UFO phenomenon and other areas of the paranormal, and uh, vice versa. So I think that it's um, as I often say, the first day of school. 
Okay, mm-hmm. I think we are just about out of time. I hate to say it. I hate to want this conversation, but we're going to be in touch off the air, and we're definitely going to do this again. Ted Phillips, everybody, uh, thank you for a great conversation, yes. and um, we'll, uh, we'll be talking to you very soon. All right. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Best of luck in your work. Thank you. Okay, very good. Ted Phillips, everyone, par excellence expert on all areas of physical traces of UFOs. Great. Okay. So let's uh, wrap this up here. So don't miss our New England Drive Time show in the Boston-Worcester Providence Triangle on WOON, 1240 AM, and com tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern. And don't forget to check our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. All sorts of information about guests, upcoming and past, future shows. And don't forget all our podcasts. All our podcasts are there as well. We have uh, just about 200 shows at this point from various stations, including this one. And you can also buy my books uh, that I've written. You can subscribe to our newsletter. And you can apply to become a reporter for the show. We have folks who have um, offered to give us some information that they pick up in their own areas about the paranormal and share it with us from time to time. So many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick. And we will see you right here next Sunday, October 31st, Halloween, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com, when Ben and I will take the hour ourselves to bring you Behind Halloween. We think you'll find it fun and informative and somewhat unexpected. It's kind of a little play on words is behind the paranormal. Anyway, right. so you can hear rebroadcasts of Behind the Paranormal on Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on CBS News Sky Radio. Okay. Now, on a recent show, we left you with a quote from President Harry S. Truman. This is from his wife, Bess Truman. Quote, now about those ghosts, I think she was talking about ghosts in the White House. I'm sure they're here, and I'm not, so ha- I'm not half so alarmed at meeting up with any of them as I am at having to meet the live nuts I have to see every day, unquote. Until next time, never give up and keep, your, keep sailing with us on our great cosmic journey. See you next time.